Welcome to the Nourishment Mindset Podcast, your guide to good food, good health, and a good life. And now, here's your host, Nutrition Network Advisor and author of the Nourishment Mindset, Dixie Huey. All right, good evening, everybody. This is Dr. Michael Kay with the Center for Functional Health, and I am so happy to bring with you today an interview. Dixie Huey, she is the author of The Nourishment Mindset. Absolutely love this book. Couldn't wait to speak to you. I read this book. I reached out to you, um, and I said, please come on. I have so many more things to discuss with you. I loved your sassiness in the book. I love that you're right to the point. No holds barred. So welcome, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you on. Thank you, Dr. K. It is a true honor. So let us start from the beginning, because we all have this journey on how we got to where we are today. Um, so can you share a little bit like how you got here and what was the real change? Something happened that moved you from one side of health to the other side of health. Yes. So I would say that something is probably to some things. So meaning, if I rewind all the way back, as a, as a child and a, a teenager, I was obsessed with ballet. And I was born to parents who um, tend to put on muscle and are not ballet thin. So this for me, um, because I'm so determined and because I had such a passion for dance, that's what I wanted to be, a prima ballerina. And it, it didn't really help to say, well, dear, you know, you, you don't really have the genetics. <laughs> I was so determined I made the genetics, um, which unfortunately, joking aside, means severe eating disorder territory. And I, I to this day, don't know how I was able to keep up the regimen of hours and hours a day of dancing but I think that was just you know a blend of childhood energy and just pure you know absolute delight if any of your um, audience has ever studied Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi that the sort of art of flow you know I, that's in my life just being in that state of flow so that probably kept me there for a while but I was a sick chick and I realized through the help of someone who I looked up to that I ultimately had to make a choice between dancing and living. So thankfully I chose living. Um, you know, anorexia I think has the highest death rate of any mm -hmm. mental disorder. So I feel really grateful for her mentorship and also just for my own awakening to say this, this is leading nowhere. So I have to stop doing the thing that I most love in order to live and find more things that I love. So that's a heavy hit for a teenager, but thankfully that happened. And I embraced at that time, um, because this mentor was someone that I looked up to, she was a prima ballerina and she was a strong chick and she lifted weights and she had the genetics. But after she got me eating again and lifting weights, I started to feel good and I wanted to continue to feel good. And that's what helped me decide that I had to make this decision. And so then I, you know, lived a, several decades or a few, a couple decades, I should say rather, very interested in health, teaching fitness, doing a lot of calorie counting, um, kind of tiptoeing on this balance beam of calories. So I would say I was much better, but I was still not free of the mindset of someone with an eating disorder. Even though I didn't appear to have that, I still was struggling. And in my I happened to end up in the wine industry, which is kind of crazy because the wine industry is the food industry, which means you're eating and drinking for a living. So on one hand, I was really happy about that. But on the other hand, I was still sort of struggling. And as I you know, got out of my 20s into my 30s, I was building my business. I was injured a lot. And now I know this because I was lacking um, nutrient uh, density, vitamins, minerals, et cetera, from all these decades of calorie counting. And I was getting pudgy and I, I had this business. And again, I had to sort of experience this awakening. And I read some books um, by Nina Teicholz, Big Fat Surprise, 
Dr. Kate Shanahan, Deep Nutrition, and it was like this thing I could no longer unsee. I realized, oh my gosh, I've been doing everything wrong. I may look okay on the outside, but I'm malnourished on the inside, and this is why I'm injured all the time, and this is why I can't run, which makes me mentally <laughs> a little bit crazy because I, exercise is one of my outlets. So that was that number two. So I mentioned the number one, the number two, and the number two was so profound for me that after I healed myself, I decided that I had to give up my 20-year career in the wine and food industry, mm. go back to school again, and become a health coach. So that's how I got to where I am now. A lot of, lot of failing, <laughs> a lot of trial and error, um, but the end route, the, the path I want to be on is vitality. Excellent. I mean, there's no such thing as failing. We call it experimenting, right? So right. some experiments went well, some experiments didn't go so well. We learn from it, and then we do another experiment. Um, you know, both you and I are from that nutrition network. Um, we both are certified through that group. It's a great group. I really enjoyed a lot of their presentation. I thought they just did a wonderful job. Um, it, it, it was excellent. You shared in the book, so I want to paint a picture for people on how far you've actually come because we're sitting here and we're seeing a person of, of great vitality but you you shared something in the book about how many laxatives at one time you were taking do you want to share that number i do so i'm holding up 10 not to mean 10 laxatives this stands for multiples of 1000 so at a minimum and that's probably a conservative estimate 10,000 laxatives and that probably started at age, that's what I call failed anorexia. Um, I just couldn't keep starving myself. So I started binging. Now I know why, brain chemistry. Um, and I, I couldn't pull the vomit trigger. So I turned to laxatives, you know, in the beginning, just like any addict, you know, it's just a few. Oh, wow, I lost three pounds. Unfortunately, at the time, I didn't know I didn't lose anything. It's just water and electrolytes. But, um, as with anything that you are addicted to, you need more of the substance to get the effect. And so three turned into 10, turned into 24. I, packs of, y'all probably don't know this, packs of X-Lex, or at least they 20, 30 years ago, um, came in 24. So I was up to about 96 a day. So four packets of laxatives a day. And that math, you know, 100 laxatives a day, you do that for a few years, that's how you get to 10,000. So it, it ain't pretty. It's uh, what I call butt bulimia, uh, but it's a real thing. Yeah. And, you know, and you talk about, you know, that fact that, you know, a person looks a certain way, therefore our society Things, therefore, they're healthy, right? If they're thin, they must be healthy. And we'll get a lot of people in the office who are thin or who are vegetarian or vegan and, you know what, not so healthy, right? So just because a person looks a certain way doesn't mean that physiologically, cellularly, that they are that way. So can you talk a little bit about the odd relationship that we have with food, like how we grow with food? our relationship with food, how that we need to be full and how that actually changes when we change the food that we eat. Yes, that's a tremendous question. And you can do a timeout thing if I start <laughs> rambling. <laughs> because that's a big and question. Go. So the thing that was my kind of key takeaway, if I can, you know, look back on decades of doing things wrong and where I am now is this focus on calories. So I'm just doing math all day long. And I said, you know, 96 laxatives a day. I'm probably doing the math about that many times a day. What did I have again for breakfast? What did I... So I'm never present in the moment if I'm sitting in a history class or something at that age, because I'm always doing calorie math. Never did I think of the value of the food on the plate. Not that I was eating out of plates then, it was more grabbing, um, but theoretical plates. So the key takeaway is the nutrient density of the food. So what is, what am I eating and what is it bringing to me? What is its benefit? In the same way that you would 
I don't know, buy a house. <laughs> you know, does this house fit my needs? Is this the correct investment for me? You know, I had never been taught to think of eating that way. It was just calories. So therefore, jelly beans and uh, an apple, 100 calories, same thing, right? Or jelly beans and steak. Uh, same thing. And so that's, that's the big one for me. I mean, that's the heart of the nourishment mindset is this new lens, not of calories, but of nutrient density, because that changes everything from a brain level. Because as a chica with an eating disorder, I just thought, well, I'm not starving myself enough and I lack self-control. Therefore I binge and I just need to try harder. It never occurred to me that, well, maybe this cycle, this perpetual cycle can be broken by actually nourishing myself, calming the brain and not being nutrient deficient. And then maybe the cravings aren't there. The desire to binge isn't there. So it, again, it, it, you know, just, it's not an issue of I'm a bad person and I lack control. It's that my brain needs nourishment. So how do you feel about the word willpower then? <sighs> willpower is... <laughs> fascinating, right? <laughs> the word willpower. Um, that is not my favorite word. I'll be honest. I like determination as a word. I still, it's not, you know, we still have to have a framework, a health framework that, you know, it's going to be different for each person, but what is going to set the path for achieving whatever it is we're looking to achieve or whatever lifestyle we're looking to have. And I say framework because, again, it's not this balanced beam of calorie tightrope type style, but it's just here are the things that I do for my health. Willpower to me sounds like a fight. <laughs> you know? I'm going to have the willpower. I don't want to eat that dessert or, you know, versus I always say the best defense is a great offense. So if someone's dealing with um cravings for foods that are not helpful for their health journey, you know, my first question is, well, are you nourished when you have those cravings? You know, is it an emotional craving or perhaps, and in a lot of cases, it's a physiological craving because someone has been restricting and therefore the brain is firing off ghrelin to name one to say, grr, eat. <laughs> so that, I mean, how do you compete with your brain? You know, willpower against my brain, my brain's going to win. Right. I mean, I think there's a myriad of factors. I know when we start out with our patients, because we help them to create that nutritional protocol, I know I'm a little bit in trouble when they go, well, do I get a snack? Right. So when that's the first question and, you know, it's, it's, but that's a process that's been taught to us. You know, you talk about the framework, the framework actually starts when we're in kindergarten and there's time where we get a snack. And as you know, when we get home from school, there's the after school snack. And at nighttime, there is another snack before we go to bed. So we, that's the framework that many of us grow up in. And that's kind of hard to break because that is a habit, you know, so I can see the frustration on both the patient's side and then the practitioner side. Right. So you try to work around like, okay, when you want the snack, are you truly hungry? Are you just tired? Are you procrastinating? Are you stressed? You know, it can be hormonal driven. It's neurotransmitter driven. There's so many factors into I just want a snack. And then we talk about the framework, but the framework, we need information. And the information that we get from the internet, and then sometimes you get information from your doctor, depending on who you go to, the information differs all the time. That's why I think in nutrition, there's a nuance and there's a baseline. You know, and you write in your book that, you know, we know more now than ever before. Yet we were more metabolically challenged than ever before, and 20% of our children are obese. So can can you talk about like why you think our children are obese? It can is, you know, is it what they're eating in school? I think that's one factor. Home, another factor. Yes. So before I answer that, I would like to say that a word that I like even less than willpower is snack. You get a lot. <laughs> That being said, I would never say to a client, you know, you cannot snack, you must starve yourself until the next meal. The point is meal one or the meal prior to the snack was not nourishing enough, really. 
Um, SACs can be a fine bridge as we're getting more metabolically healthy. But this snacking thing, if you look at other cultures, which I, you know, I look heavily upon France and the nourishment mindset because I spend a lot of time there, but like adults do not snack. Like, on dit, uh, ça n'existe pas. That doesn't exist. You know, school children have a goûter. They have a little snack um, after school, but adults would never do this. It just is not part of the culture. So to bridge that to the answer to your question, the, the whole idea of, you know, children and obesity, you know, this is, this is just sad. You know, some things are maddening. This is sad. And I will share that when I was in college and I'm 45, so this is a long time ago, about 25 years ago, I was writing my senior thesis and it's admittedly nerdy title, a biopsychosocial model for treating childhood obesity. And I found that sucker while I was reading, uh, writing, rather, sorry, my book, The Nourishment Mindset. And it was so depressing because, well, it was funny on one hand, because I'm like, oh, I've come back to my true nerdy self. So here I am, because I had that career in the wine industry for 20 years, but here I find myself back. But the thing that got me is just how much worse the numbers are. So I, I should know what number I cited for childhood obesity back then. If I had to guess, it might be 10, 11%. But as you said, it's now 20. And those stats are pre-COVID, y'all. So mm. it's not going to be 20. It's going to be worse. So why is that? Um, it's myriad of reasons, of course. But if I had to point to the number one reason, it is what is in the food. And I'm doing quotes because a lot of what kids are eating is not even food. It is a what I call recipe for ultra processed foods. It's grains and fillers sprayed with glyphosate, add in sugar or even worse, high fructose corn syrup, add in the worst of the worst, seed oils, and then you get your additives, your preservatives, all that. So I argue that ain't food. It sort of maybe looks like food, um, but it is delivering, as we talked about earlier, nothing in terms of nutrient density. And so a lot of kids are just eating this ultra processed faux food garbage. They're never actually eating food. So to me, that's the number one driver of childhood obesity. And again, I understand there's myriad factors, you know, kids spending more time looking at screens, less time moving. Um, you know, you mentioned, um, Dr. K, that, you know, what's served in schools. Well, that's exactly what I just described in my recipe for ultra processed food. So to me, again, number one driver is that just horrendous. It's not, I shouldn't even call it a recipe. <laughs> it's just a garbage can of subsidized crap. And mm -hmm. that's what we feed our students at school. And for some students, that's some of their main source of food in right. a day. Um, so again, lots of factors, but that's, that's the number one. I'm kind of the gal that likes to get to the root cause and that's it. Yeah. And I, and I think there's economic issues as well. And, and, you know, and sometimes you're right. That's the only food that they get during the day. Um, and we know that that is often wrought politically of who gets their foods into the uh, hands of the students and the schools. Right. So we've seen that stats all the time where it's like it's just not healthy food it's better than having no food but it's just not healthy food and i remember i'll take you back even a long time ago um in in in, in junior high cooking was one of your classes and i don't think people cook today i don't think you know unless you know how to cook want to cook and teach your kids to cook most people don't cook right so it's easy to grab those foods it's just often i think those foods are not the healthiest choices um, so, you know, I think that creates a lot of the problems that people say they have no time to cook and we hear that a lot. And yet cooking is really important. Now you brought up one thing that, you know, you talk about grains and glyphosate and stuff like that, you know, but how many, how many years have we know that grains are good for us? And I think, you know, there's a time and place, um, and obviously you can get your grains with less glyphosate. I think that's great. Um, I think some people respond well with grains. I think it depends on 
their blood sugar. I think it depends on, you know, their gut, how they do it. Um, for how many years have we been told that, you know, grains are, are great and that's what we eat for breakfast. So somebody will say to you, okay, so I can't have my cereal. What can I eat for breakfast? So can you share with us like what you eat for breakfast? <laughs> so I'm just to clarify, I am not anti-grain. Um, I, I think for people who are metabolically unhealthy, it's, it's a avoid or drastically minimize. For someone who's metabolically healthy, they want to enjoy that. And, you know, I would just say try to find an organic source because then you're not eating Bayer's glyphosate, which is not good for anyone. So it's it's always the how, too, right? How is it grown? How is it processed? That's something I learned from working with farmers for 20 years um, in the wine industry. Um, but breakfast. Okay. So breakfast is fun, right? Because food marketers have told us, oh, it's the most important meal of the day and you need to get your energy up and you need to eat cereal and toast. And by the way, grains. And what are we really eating? We're eating filler sprayed with glyphosate. So that's not healthy. Um, now, if someone who's metabolically healthy wants to do some organic oats and that kind of thing, you know, good. You know, I, so again, I just want to give an example of if that's working for you, awesome. I tend to work with people who have either chronic conditions to reverse um, and often have weight to lose. So starting your day with a blood glucose spike from grains is not going to help you. So what do I think is the perfect thing for breakfast? Well, I guess I should say it's, you know, it's like, what's the perfect exercise? The one you're going to, the thing you're going to do. Um, so, but to me, if I could just pick and I could magically make everyone love eggs, I would say eggs. <laughs> eggs to me, they're what I call nature's veritable vitamin. We're all swallowing all kinds of vitamins and supplements and all this stuff, but like eggs, man, they have it all. Sure. Um, so eggs cooked in olive oil, butter, palm oil. You can do so much with eggs, but eggs for any meal. Not just breakfast. But doctors are still saying to their patients, cut out the eggs. That's why you have high cholesterol. Right? Yes. Right? Dietary cholesterol versus blood right. cholesterol. So the real book to get into this is Nina Teichel's Big Bad Surprise because she yep. spent 10 years writing it. But I, I definitely recommend that book. I think. I think people really need to, you know what, instead of recommend that book to patients and patients and clients can read it, you know, I think some of our docs need to read that. Oh my gosh. Like Everyone just, needs to read right, that. It's just giving that same, the same statement of, you know, eating cholesterol equals cholesterol and it just doesn't work like that. Um, so, you know, right. it, we, that's why it, at our clinic, we take like a deep dive into the cholesterol panels, right? Just not just what their count is, but like a deep dive into what their apolipoprotein B looks like, uh, lipoprotein little a looks like. Uh, we wanna see their uh, lipoprotein insulin resistance score. You know, there's a lot to go into it. Um, then just, hey, here's your cholesterol, because it's just a, a count. It really doesn't help us move them forward, just that count. So I think it's really important to look at that number. One thing I wanna talk about is, and you, you mentioned in your book, like how do you deal with friends who are not following our protocol. I mean, I got my way of dealing with it. I think my friends are just used to the way I eat anymore when we go out. Um, but you know, going out's hard and you know, people want to eat whatever they want when they go out. So how do you share with your clients? Like, hey, you've been doing well, you're going to go out. What are you going to do? Right. So it's always, you know, going out is a celebration. It's a tradition. You know, it should be fun. But back to the word framework. You know, so what I counsel most clients, not everyone's different, but this is just the majority who are, you know, those who are not metabolically ideal looking to become more so is it's not quite flip the food pyramid, what I call in my book, the piece of shit food, pyramid. <laughs> um, but it's close. So if you build your meal, you know, think of it as like an orchestra, right? Um, build your meal around your protein source. So whatever that might be for you, it could be the fish special. It could be a, a steak, chicken. It's going to be a little bit harder if you're vegetarian. Maybe it's eggs. <laughs> um, maybe it's a plant-based source of protein. And then 
add color and nutrient density through vegetables and then make sure that whatever you're ordering is cooked in a natural fat. So again, avoiding those inflammatory seed oils. And you could just, most restaurants, that's the other thing. This is really depressing. But even the finest restaurants cook in inflammatory fats. So it's an individual choice. You know, if it's once in a while and you don't want to be a, a buzzkill, <laughs> the person with the qualifiers on the menu, you could just enjoy the meal that I just described, kind of building from that framework. Or you could ask, hi, you know, I really prefer that my X protein source be cooked in, in a natural fat. So it's going to be the person's um, choice as to how they want to navigate a restaurant menu. But again, if you go into it with a framework, of I need to prioritize my protein source. I'm going to add vitamin and mineral density through my vegetables. And maybe I'm going to ask the restaurant to please cook in a natural fat. I think you can enjoy it. And if you want to bite here and there of things that are outside the realm of that, just because you're celebrating, I would say the nourishment mindset says, enjoy yourself. Don't fret about it. You know, but if it's every night, that's going to be a problem. Right. How do you feel about alcohol? A lot of people like to drink their alcohol, um, you know, have an alcoholic drink at dinner and all that. Well, I worked in the wine industry for 20 years, so I'm not going to sit here and say that uh, I'm anti-alcohol. Uh, I do love wine. Um, I think it's just, you know, again, it's making choices. So if someone's drinking a margarita filled with sugar and there goes my dog, Travis Benoop, Um a giant dough. Yes. That's going to not be a metabolic gift to their body. Um, but if you can choose a dry wine or there are some dry spirits, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not going to make a health claim for any alcohol. Mm -hmm. um, it's just one of those things like, and it, it, it's a, it's a celebration and indulgence. Um, hopefully something that can be enjoyed in moderation. There are all these studies out about wine being, you know, healthy and resveratrol. Uh, wine lovers would love to believe that. Wine yeah. Spectator publishes articles about that all the time. But here's how I think of wine in my framework, because I love wine. Um, I think of health as like a bank account, right? So everything I can do to make a deposit into that bank account is going to grow my investment. And, and that's what I want to focus on, whether it's, you know, a mindful morning, nourishing food, exercise, sunlight, joyous hobbies, whatever it is. I put my wine in the withdrawal category. So I'm making a mindful withdrawal. Um, and that means that maybe I can't make other mindful withdrawals because perhaps that's my sort of focus withdrawal and, and just try to balance that and have way more investments than withdrawals. Like if that that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that's great. And you mentioned a few times about oils. So can we talk a little bit about oils and kind of give people the framework of what oils are good and what oils are not good and Sometimes what's the best they can do and how they know they're getting good. You know, like I love olive oil, but sometimes even the olive oil we get maybe is not the best olive oil. Yeah, that can be cut. That's the annoying thing about You're trying to do your best, you know. You really are. It reminds me of all these keto foods. Yeah. You know? And I always say to people, if it's got giant K-E-T-O on the front label, walk away because you're just going to be spending more and paying for a lie. If it, it's got to try too hard, it's just marketing. And I can say that because I was a marketer for 20 years. So back to oils. And this is hopefully an interesting segue. A lot of these inflammatory PUFA, polyunsaturated fatty acid oils, have the American Heart Association, little cute little red heart, heart healthy. But that is also food marketing, and that is also BS, and here's why. That little heart means that it lowers, we talked about cholesterol, it lowers your cholesterol. Okay, but at what price? 
And should we really even be focused on lowering cholesterol? You know, mother's breast milk is the highest cholesterol food. Mm -hmm. I don't think that Buddha, God, higher power is trying to kill babies by putting cholesterol in breast milk, obviously dietary and blood cholesterol, two different things. But there's this whole, I mean, I have a chapter in my book called cholesterol paranoia syndrome. So to me, whenever I see those little heart healthy oils, I walk away. It's like keto bread, walk away. Um, those oils, it's, it's the how, um, somewhat of them. It's the what as well. So what I like to offer to people is natural fat. Okay, what is natural fat? This is easily um, gleaned from nature. So butter is from cream churned. Olive oil, I used to have an olive oil client. You know, you're gently pressing olives. Avocado oil, same thing. These are fatty fruits, uh, olives and avocados. So easy to, to, to massage the fat out, and fat out rather and have a wonderful product. It's the things like a soybean or a safflower, safflower seed, corn, a cotton seed. You know, these are seeds. They're, they're not vegetables. Uh, you know, rapeseed is canola oil. You know, we, we have a naming problem with rapeseeds. We're going to call it canola and heart healthy. But all of these oils, so-called, have to go through massive amounts of processing to become an oil. They don't start off that way. They were initially chemical solvents, like for cleaning <laughs> engines and whatnot. And the, if, if anyone, I mean, these companies are proud of their processes. You can go on YouTube and search for how to, you know, create a seed oil or heart healthy oil. And they will show you when this sludge comes out of the first processing, it's just, it's black gunk. It looks like what was in my yard after our last hurricane, mm. just muck, you know, and then it's got to be bleached and deodorized and purified and colorized and all of this stuff. So it, that's not a natural product. Um, and so that's why it's, it's inflammatory for, there are many reasons, but this is just, this is another one of those, put it in the bucket of ultra super duper processed foods. And this, sure, a tiny amount of polyunsaturated fatty acids is fine in the diet if you look at traditional cultures. But these are making up something like 80% of the American uh, fat consumption. And they're horrible for human health in every way. <laughs> so that to me, if your audience wants to do one thing and one thing only, it's avoid this stuff like the plague. Mm -hmm. It is just and it's impossible to completely avoid so you have to have a little bit of self-grace it's going to creep in but just don't put it in your house right that's your framework i don't bring that stuff in my house and so that does mean you need to flip whatever nutrition label over because a lot of sauces packaged goods dressings all of this stuff you know it's better to just whip up your own or what you said olive oil so olive oil, as you mentioned, so I don't forget that piece, you know, can be cut with other oils. We don't have great regulation in terms of that. So you really want to look for, if possible, the extra virgin olive oil, because there are more regulations as to how you have to sort of honor the olive, if you will. And there's a tremendous book, if anyone wants to do a deep dive, it has a saucy name. It's called Extra Virginity. Nice. And it's all about olive oil and its health benefits and all of the food fraud. And, you know, if you're a nerd like me, it's fascinating. <laughs> like, and how do you feel about walnut oil? You know, I know less about walnut oil. How do you feel? I mean, it, walnut is a fatty nut. So I feel like that's probably on the go list. But what do you think? It's, it's not bad. It just sometimes gives it a, a different taste. Okay. But it's it's not a bad oil. It's on the expensive side, um, but it's not sure. a bad oil. Um, more in the, in the salad dressing. Like you said, salad dressings can be uh, very sneaky, right? So unless you're making your own salad dressing, that can be very sneaky. I, I do like the Primal Kitchen. Uh, I yeah. think they did a great job. Mark Sisson's, you know, uh, group, I think they did a wonderful job with their, with their dressings. Um, but other than that, I'm very, very careful. I try to stick to some olive oil. Um, or sometimes it's just the, uh, you know, just the salad itself. And 
really not adding much to it. Uh, lemon and, and vinegar, I mean, just simple, easy stuff is, is easy. Um, so let's talk about, I know your love or lack thereof um, for the heart healthy stuff. Um, you had a great uh, chapter, like um, paragraphs on, on eggs and how we get duped into what's considered like uh, free range and pasteurized and, you know, the heart healthy label. Can you talk a little bit about one of my favorite foods, which are, which are eggs? Right. Back to nature's veritable vitamin, these eggs. So the food marketers have, uh, it's funny, right? Because in a way I can't blame them because the eggs were demonized <laughs> and now it's, you know, coming out, well, dietary cholesterol and blood cholesterol are not the same. Maybe you can have two eggs a week, you know, so the gal who has three or four, maybe more a day, it just depends. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> egg qualifiers, this is like the little heart, right? Except it's not a heart. It's different kinds of labeling. So there's everything from, you know, there's a traditional egg. You know, these are your least expensive eggs. And I'd rather someone eat those eggs than not eat eggs. So just to sort of qualify that, but there's all these different levels. So on one end of the spectrum, there's just, you know, freaking eggs and styrofoam, <laughs> the cheap mm -hmm. stuff. Way out on the other end of the spectrum is what you were talking about, how you went shopping uh, at a farm yep. and got farm fresh eggs. And these are presumably from chickens that are pastured and eating insects and what they're supposed to be eating. And then you have all the stuff in the middle. And so one of my least favorite qualifiers is free range. Because this word sounds like the chickens can go hang out where they want to. But it doesn't mean that. It means sometimes that the chickens have access to a window. Meaning, like, I have a window right there, but I can't necessarily get out of it. Um, so that's just food marketing. BS mm. and lying. So if someone is trying to optimize and has the budget to do so, we're looking for pastured. So the real free range is pastured. But you know, why should we all have to work this hard to like play with words? <laughs> you know? That's just lack, you know, and I'm not one for like more regulation typically, but I don't like how food marketing companies are so easily able to dupe consumers because the person buying free range is paying more. And I think most people buying free range think that those chickens are out doing their chicken thing in nature and they're not. So it's not right. And it shouldn't be that way, but that's the way it is. You know, we just ask people to do an awful lot of extra work to, to be optimally healthy. And do you prefer brown eggs over white eggs? Does that bother you either way? Personally, no. I think, you know, there's eggs. I mean, it's some like ducks, some ducks have blue eggs. Yeah, so we, <laughs> we, like, we like duck eggs and we get turkey eggs as well. So Turkey um, eggs. Yeah. I was just talking about turkey eggs with someone. I don't think I've ever had one. So tell me. It's great. It, it's it's very rich. It's, it's uh, very satiating. Um, it's a, it's a bigger egg. It's a different color. Uh, it's it's a little bit higher in cholesterol compared to a chicken egg. But again, for me, it's about eating something that gives me energy. So I get energy and satiety, right? So when you talk about nutrient density, that's what's important to me. Um, so when I eat, I want what I'm eating to provide me energy. Because for me, the food is medicine and food is energy. And, you know, that's all calories are. It's just a, it's a way that we measure energy. Yes, unit of, energy. unit of energy. So I say to folks, do you want to take in good energy or, or poor energy, right? So that's that's really what it comes down to. You know, you great to say it. What's that? It's a great way to say it. Yeah. Energy, you know, that, that speaks to my woo-woo. I'm a yoga instructor. So okay. you know, I'm all about right. good energy and good vibes. <laughs> right. But it, but it does, right? So, I mean, you, you know what's good food. I mean, you really don't. I mean, I think people know for the most part what's good, what's not. We have near us Wawa food stores. You know, are you familiar with Wawa at all? I am. Okay. So Wawa is brilliant. I mean, you can go in and you can get a turkey hoagie. That's great. But you can also go in and get hard-boiled eggs, right? You can get a sandwich, but you can also get a salad. 
you know, so they, they really did, I, I think, a wonderful job of catering to everyone. I think that's why people go there for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, because they can. Um, so you can follow a nutritional protocol like you and I do and still go to Wawa and get something to eat. Yep, you're making the best choice you can. My family travels a lot. We lived in our RV for a year after my professional midlife crisis. And I learned a lot about road food, <laughs> which gas stations and convenience stores have more nutrient-dense items. It ain't going to be perfect. It's not a pastured hard-boiled egg, right, but it's right. still an egg. <laughs> right, and, and, and sometimes that Slim Jim is what it is, and... That's it. You move on, right? You know, you wrote in your book, I'm going to quote this, small pantry leads to smaller booty. Shop more frequently and locally, slow down when eating, right? So can you share about your small pantry leads to smaller booty and that pantry clean out? Yes, uh, pantry sweep. So that's just me being goofy. But it is an observation, you know, spending a lot of time in Europe, specifically France, like, we had our good French friends come over pre-COVID and they spent about a week with us and we don't even have a large pantry, but I just, I wanted to, I didn't do this, but I would have loved to take them to like a traditional American home with a walk-in closet size right. pantry, just to film their faces. You know, <laughs> what, is going, what is this? You know, it's, it's, we go to Costco and we fill up the bed of the truck and we bring it all, you know, we haul it in because there's going to be a blizzard right. <laughs> next season and we're no longer canning food and, it's, you know, and I, I'm sure I'm offending people. So I'm sorry. I, you can pick on me too. I have many, many things, but um, no, it's just, that doesn't exist. Uh, our house our tiny house in France has this closet and in the closet is like the cleaning supplies, the tea and coffee, all of the plates, spoons, cutlery, etc. Everything is in there and there's just this space, you know, well, maybe it's that big for food. There is no freaking pantry because the culture doesn't, that's just not part of it. Um, and I realize that's impractical. Not everyone here is going to be going to the market every day in the nearest town and, and filling, but it's just more something to think about. Like, what is in this pantry? You know, that's the real question. Um, is it food, you know, or is it ultra-processed gunk? And so that's where the idea of the pantry sweep came in. So again, through the lens of nutrient density, walk into your walk-in size closet, take a look and say, each of these items, is this contributing to my health or is this one of those withdrawals? And if it's a withdrawal, is a granola bar really worth it? I mean, I don't know, like a great Pinot Noir might be worth it or like a fabulous um, bakery dessert maybe once in a while or a good risotto, but like, really? So the whole idea of the pantry sweep is just to take that lens of nutrient density, literally go through your pantry and just sweep the stuff out that is not adding to your health. And most of that stuff is back to a word that I told you I hated, and that word is snack. <laughs> it's not even a meal. So yeah, that's my feeling on, on pantries. I think if we could get rid of our walk-in closet size pantries, we could cut the size of our booties in half. Mm -hmm. but, but you did say, because there would be a tendency for those who Put the food in that bag to get rid of it, but you recommended something in your book which I absolutely <laughs> love, and and I thought, man, this is brilliant, and, and this is like I'm like I, this is why I have to speak to this person. Um, you want to share with them what you recommended to do, or you just want them to sure. read the book? No, no, well, read the book because there's all kind of crazy wackadoodle stuff. This is not like a diet book. This is pretty self-deprecating, as you know. Um, but what I said about it, I'm just this only an eating disorder person would say this, okay? You're going to have to pee on, like, not just on the bag of stuff you're throwing out, I'll pee in the bag because you're going to be tempted. You know, maybe you went out to dinner, you had some wine, you had some cocktails, like, you're going to come back and be like, I'm just going to have one more granola bar. But if you peed on them, you're not as Probably likely not. to enjoy them at that point. Um, and that's, you know, that's 
it's tongue in cheek, but it's also sad because right. um, people with eating disorders do things like dive into other people's trash cans to mm -hmm. indulge in foods that are off limits for them. So it's 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 funny and it's sad all at once, but it's the truth. And I, I love what you did with the book. As you can imagine, I read a tremendous amount. I, I read many, many uh, diet books. Um, I was overweight as a child. My nickname was- Really? Pads. Oh yeah, yeah, my nickname was Pads. So, you know, when I read your book, I'm like, okay, this this is something easy for people to digest, no pun intended, right? Because you get a lot of these diet books and it's like, okay, now you need to do this, 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 and this, and you need to do this, this, and it becomes so overwhelming that you like, you know what? Enough of this. I'm not going to do it. It's not even yeah, worth it. it. So, what do you say to your client who comes to you just so overwhelmed, overwhelmed by the representation of the diet industry um, and even the fitness industry? And you know, I was a personal trainer for many years. I'm a big movement guy. I think that's super important. That what they see online, they see the, the crazy fads on TikTok. They see Instagram and what do you say to that patient that comes to you that's 20, 30, 40 pounds overweight, has been on several diets before, is just so overwhelmed, it's like, I can't even begin. And unfortunately, a lot of times as females, they are the ones who run the household. So now they got to cook for other people and you want them to eat a certain way, when in reality, the whole family should be eating a certain way. Yep. So this is just, this is life. Um, and I do tend to work with middle-aged women, probably because I am one. Um, and we have our own unique challenges and sparkles. Um, but for the, for any person who comes to me and says, you know, it's people are coming to me not to quote, get metabolically healthy from the inside. They're coming because they want to fit into a pair of jeans or there's a wedding or a reunion or something and that's fine whatever i mean that's a fine motivation but i do try to emphasize metabolic health overall and so it was something actually uh because you're a nutrition network uh alum also um dr Siwes, who happens to be here in florida who's a bariatric surgeon um said it in one of our lectures and it turned my thinking completely upside down. I can never unhear and unsee this knowledge. It was, we don't lose weight to get healthy. We get healthy and then we lose weight. Beautiful. Well, repeat that, okay? Because really, as you know, what is happening is you're healing metabolically on the inside. And then the symptom of the extra weight is slowly alleviated, but that is not what the diet industry sells. And so a lot of my work, you know, my work is three things. One, it's trying to understand the client where he or she, where are you coming from? What are your motivations? What have you done before? Kind of what's, what's in your head? Who are you now? And then step two is almost unlearning. So all these failed diets and all this shame you know, we talked about willpower. <laughs> if I just had more willpower, my life would be better and I would fit into those genes. It's not willpower, it's nourishment. So kind of unlearning, relearning. And then one of my favorite aspects of what I do is it's kind of like detective work, food detective. So meaning what's what are we doing now? What's working? What's not working? And so I'm, this is like the MBA in me. I'm looking for levers to pull. So a lot of people, and you mentioned the, the middle-aged woman, you know, this, these are in a sandwich women caring for the older generation, caring for the kids, a lot of them working, like literally pulled in so many different directions. So now I'm looking, of course, at what is you know, being consumed for nourishment. A, a lot of this group does what I call DWE and drive-by eating. So drive-by eating is just kind of driving by the fridge and just grabbing something, you know, never really sitting at a table. I'm sitting at my dining room table right now, uh, which is why I have a wine fridge behind me. <laughs> but the other thing, DWE, doing while eating, you know, again, just 
you know, taking bits of the kids' lunch as we're packing them and, and just never really self-nourishing, but just sort of taking the scraps. Um, so that's a lever, you know, a huge lever, as I'm sure you know, is sleep. Mm-hmm. You know, if, you're, if your sleep sucks and your cortisol and other hormones are always elevated or out of wackadoodle, um, it's going to be very hard to lose weight and get metabolically healthy. And so the good news about, you know, this, for me, at least in working with people with this idea of pulling levers, you know, huge lever, get the seed oils out of the diet, <laughs> you know, another level lever, focus on nutrient dense foods, but there's also sleep sunlight. Um, and so it's, I'm trying to meet the person where they are without maybe being overwhelming, but you do occasionally get a client who's doing so many things, right. And that's where we need to look at those other levers. So. So how long does a client work with you? Do they work with you for six months, a year? No, not usually. Um, I don't offer any kind of, um, should I say like package or anything like that? The way I do things is, I think this is just, there's a book I read that sort of helped me bridge between culinary marketing agency owner and, you know, private practice health coach. And it's called Halftime. And I highly recommend this book. It has nothing to do with nutrition. It has a lot to do with nourishing your your soul though. And it's it's from success to significance. So this book is about, you know, I've had career one. This is just where I found myself. I'm just not fulfilled on a soulful level. So I need to find what I want to do in career two. And so whereas when I had my marketing agency, I was very necessarily focused on P&L and, and you know, what client metrics were. And, you know, I had to do that. I had employees. Like it, it, I need to yes. offer them health stipends. You know, it was just a different deal. Now I'm in that halftime, moved across the bridge, second professional life. And so the way I set out to sort of honor that is just, look, I'm going to make it really simple. I can, you can do one visit. You can do multiple visits. Yes, of course, there is a better pricing if you're going to do multiple visits, but I want to meet people where they are literally. So some people just want to tune up and it's a one-time, you know, 90 minute, hey, how you doing? Let's talk through this. Other people want a weekly check-in, you know, and that weekly check-in might be 60 minutes for four weeks. And then it's like, well, we'll take it down to every two weeks or or maybe we'll do 30 minutes. And then, and then it kind of trails off to 15. So I would say most people kind of come in strong and then we just kind of taper off as needed. And then then, you know, they'll appear three months later. I need a tune-up. And so the door is always open, is I guess what I should say. There is no, like, sort of set route because I feel like everyone is different. And also, got to be honest, I don't take insurance. This is private pay. So, yeah. Well, I mean, that that that's okay. I mean, we, we do both, right? So the insurance world okay. is a world that can surely beat you up as a practitioner. Um so I, I definitely respect that. You know, what do you say to folks who around October, Halloween, moving into Thanksgiving, moving into Christmas and New Year's? And, you know, we see a lot of times where our patients, this is the where they begin to spiral down. Um, what tools can you share? I mean, we're going into summer. I get that. But what tools can you share? Because that happens quite often. It seems, and and the, and the time seems to go by so fast. So we're going to be in September before we know it. Yes, that's an awesome question. I've never been asked that before, but it's certainly, it's a thing. I mean, I don't have up-to-date statistics, but years ago it was, you know, the average American gains seven pounds between Halloween and New Year's Day. So I don't know what that is. I can't imagine it's gotten any better. So I think for me um, and for anyone I'm working with, I always say the best defense is an awesome offense. So a lot of people, you know, we've, most of us have been sort of 
surrounded by diet culture and, and, and calories in, calories out. I'm not saying that calories don't matter at all. You know, they count, but I just prefer not to count them. Um, so in terms of getting specific with the holidays, D-A-Z-E, mm, nice. <laughs> uh, is, is really that offense. So let's not do what the pattern tends to be, which is I'm going to save room for whatever I'm going out and having fun. So I'm just not going to eat my eggs in the morning. Maybe I'll just nibble on lunch and then I'm going to save room for whatever's coming at that party. You know, that's just setting yourself up for failure. It makes sense in a like restriction calorie only mindset, but from like a brain and physiology mindset, it doesn't make any sense because you're just pissing your brain off and you're mucking around with your um, hormone system. And, and then you show up at the party and you wonder why you have no willpower. <laughs> you know, it's because you were mean to yourself. So again, best, best defense, great offense. So have a really nourished day and then go to whatever holiday function thing and enjoy a little something, but don't get outside of the framework. Right. Um, so, and if, and again, if you can show up nourished, then you don't have all these hormones mucking your willpower um, you're just you in a nourished state and so that's a time of year to to mindfully enjoy some things but it also depends on your social life so if you're a butterfly and you're going to several events per week that's different than I'm doing two events in the season you know so if you're doing several events per week you might want <laughs> to think mindfully about, okay, I'm going to, I mean, there's all kinds of strategies, right? That are not just nourish yourself before, but I'll pick one thing that is not my typical thing to eat and I'll try it and I'll enjoy it, but it doesn't need to be an entire plate of stuff that is just going to derail your efforts and make it harder to, to nourish yourself the next day. And then that's the other thing on the flip end of that. So if you have overindulged, you know, some people then severely restrict the next day. And now you're setting up a cycle <laughs> and there's always another party and another holiday. And it can be really easy to make that a pattern versus just like, all right, I slipped up at one party, moving on. Maybe I'll have a light first meal, but I'm just going to focus on, again, making those health account deposits. And that was a withdrawal. And we're just going to see it for what it is. Beautiful. And I'd be remiss to not discuss with you your thoughts on exercise. Because some people will say, well, since I know I'm going to eat X, I'm going to exercise more. And Weight Watchers had this wonderful thing where like the second 20 minutes after you did your first 20 minutes on a treadmill, if you did another 20 minutes, you'd add three more points. So people were trying to get, you know, 40 minutes so they can add six points which really doesn't make sense. There are a lot of people who will exercise because they know they're going to go eat something instead. So, and people often exercise too much or not exercising correctly. So what are your thoughts on, on exercise? Right. Well, <laughs> I, uh, I am a fitness instructor, not just a yoga instructor. And I would like to say that exercise is a poor way to lose weight. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a crazy person because the fitness industry is selling, burn those calories. I still hear fellow fitness instructors say, we're going to burn a lot of calories today. And that just creates that map that, you know, what I described for me, which became an obsession, just all day long, calories in, calories out map. So, you know, to me, I'll give you a more concrete example. For a while, when I lived in San Francisco in my 20s, I coached triathlon team. And this was through Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, wonderful organization. Um, and I saw triathletes gain weight. And how do you gain weight training for a triathlon? Well, you eat too damn much. Right. <laughs> and there's the, the, it's not just that, you know, there, there's, I firmly believe that we have, you know, a, a system that is set up to tell us when to eat and when to lay off. 
So that's just this like beautiful thing in nature. It's not perfect, but a lot of things like those inflammatory fats, preservatives, you know, we could go on and on, disrupt that functioning. So there's that, but then there's also the psychology of it. So I did this long workout. I'm going to treat myself and that can backfire. It often does. So what I, here's what I have to say about exercise. Obviously I love it. I'm a fitness instructor. That's my happy place, but here's why we exercise. Hopefully for joy, because it's an awesome mood enhancement mm -hmm. and it can be a social thing or it can be a self-time thing depending on what you're looking for. But also my favorite exercise benefit is never mentioned. It's insulin sensitivity. You know, it's the opposite of the diabetes train, sure. um, insulin resistance. And, and then there's, you know, if you're outside, you're getting free vitamin D. Um, there's balance, there's muscle strength. There's all kind of wonderful benefits to exercise, but I'm just not putting weight loss in that bucket. And so if we can reframe the why behind our exercise and come up with some reasons to do it that have nothing to do with burning anything. To me, that's a much healthier relationship with exercise. I agree. Exercise moves the needle on, on every system, uh, neurologically, brain, uh, endocrine, uh, muscular, obviously, respiratory, cellular. I mean, it moves it on every physiological system in our body. Exercise is good. Um, Obviously, the ultra exercising um, that we see now, uh, there are some articles coming out now talking about, uh, you know, that you can get AFib is big. We see damage yeah. that's done to uh, the joints, the knees, the lumbar spine, the hips, the ankles. Um, the endothelial demand is is just so grand on, on those people who exercise the long. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, I think... I think it's something that's absolutely beautiful, but needs to be done right. And I think that's why I think the investment in spending time with somebody to teach you how to exercise and what to do is important. And also like as our bodies change, so does our demands for exercise, right? So that also has to change, right? So what we did in our twenties, we can't do in our forties and how we train in our fifties, you're training for a different physiological system. So all that, all that plays a fantastic role. So we covered a lot tonight. Um, and, and again, your book was absolutely fantastic. So can you hold up your, your book? I have I have my copy here. You can hold up your copy. Okay. And, you know, tell everybody where we can get that book. Thank Excellent. you. So there's two places to get this book. Amazon, if y'all have ever heard of that. Amazon will get it to you real quick for $19.95 for the paperback copy. There's also a Kindle copy. Other place to get it is on my website, my private practice site. And I can compete with Amazon on press. So I, I cannot compete with them on shipping speed, but what I can offer is a signed copy. So if you are, you know, just giving a gift to yourself, or if you want to give a gift to a friend, the gift of nourishment, I'm happy to write a custom message or just simply give a signature. And that's that's a hand-packed. <laughs> made with love item dropped off at the post office by yours truly. So those are the, the two ways, Amazon and favorfat.com. Okay. And that's the great way to get in touch you is favorfat.com. So if a client wants to work with you, can they go on favorfat.com and either make a discovery call with you or fill out a form or something like that? Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's I'm, I'm pretty laid back as I hope I um, <laughs> have indicated in my sassy writing style yeah. i call it straight talk if i'm it was. And it, was great. Talk. It, was, it was great i really i really enjoyed it and again i think it's something that anybody can read and start the process now without feeling overwhelmed and that's what's really oh, important right Good. yeah because it's incremental steps it's right. not perfection in a day i'm not perfect oh my gosh are we kidding I love it when I get that question. So what is every day just like this? Yes, every day. I did a podcast on that recently. Yes, every day I wake up and everything's perfect yeah. and I have my routines and nothing ever strays and, you know, no, BS. So, no, I, the, the best way to, to get in touch with me is favorfat.com. Um, there people can see links to everything. You know, if you're an Instagrammer, it's there. If you're um, a LinkedIn, -er, it's there. I have my email. I even put my phone number. 
please don't spam call me. Um, but uh, no, I, I put it all out there. I want to help as many people as I can. Um, and I'm, I do have a complimentary 15, 20 minute, just as you said, discovery call, because that's the other thing. If I'm not a fit for someone, I, because again, I don't take insurance, it's just private pay. I, I certainly don't want someone to have to feel like they, they're handcuffed to me. I'm either a fit or I'm not. And if I'm helping you, great, then you're happy to pay and tell your friends. And if it's not a good fit, then that's okay. You know, I wish you the best. And I even can recommend other people who might be a better fit for someone. You know, for example, full disclosure, I'm not someone to hire if you're a vegan. I don't have any expertise in that. I, I will disclose that I don't think that's a healthy way of eating. So I'm not your gal, but there are there are other gals and guys who can help you with that. And that that's great. Right. Right. I, um, I, I agree with you. And our last question is what book are you reading now? Ooh, what book am I reading now? Okay. <laughs> it's the book that I owe $1 in late fees on and I Ooh. went to renew it and someone else has it on hold. So I am returning that sucker tomorrow because it's not just racking up the late fees. I am preventing someone else. Um, I keep rereading it, which is why I'm late with it, but it's called Living the Sutras. So okay. this is the yoga instructor in me, and it's a great blend of sort of yoga philosophy meets modern day mindfulness and, and practice. And I love this book. And I, I'm if I finish it tonight, great, but I'm turning it in tomorrow. I've learned a lot from it, not just from a day-to-day -day mindful living, but also how to be a better yoga instructor. And it's this cute little, it shouldn't have taken me this long to read. It's, it's not even that tall, it's not that thick, but it's just, you gotta reread the sections to really let it sink in. So I probably just need to go on Amazon and buy it, right? There you go. <laughs> help, help out another author, right? It's always good. Exactly. It's always good. So thank you, thank you so much for coming on tonight. I really, really appreciate it. And everybody who wants to contact you, it's favorfat.com, right? Yes, sir. Dr. K. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you, everybody. And we'll talk to you soon.